So welcome everyone, everywhere, wherever you are. So one thing I'd like to start this retreat, uh, today's this instruction is actually yesterday, uh, Tony, during the sitting meditation, at the beginning explained that every day, every sitting in the morning, in the evening, is going to do like we did on retreat, was to offer uh, incense and water and a candle, lit a candle, uh, toward the Buddha, like a little bit on this altar here, if you can see it. And he said that's what we do in the Song Retreat. Of course, people are not obliged to bow at all to the Buddha, but they can if they want on the retreat in Gaia House. And in a way, why are we offering this? We're actually offering this as a reminder to our own potential for awakening. That when we look at the Buddha, we don't look at a statue. We actually look at a representation, a symbol of our own potential for awakening. And that we can also be awakened in any moment. So in a way, the three offerings are offering as a symbol of awakening. So you offer fresh water. And water as something which reflects everything that comes above it. But when it's gone, it does not keep it. So a kind of a symbol of encountering without grasping. Also, the water is flexible. It will adapt to any vessels, any bowls, any things you put it, you put it in. And so it also shows that awakening actually is about being adaptable, being creative, being flexible. And the last thing with water is that actually it doesn't flow up. It flows down. So awakening is not there to put us apart from everybody else, but really it helps us to flow into what is going now and to really be with everyone. That is a very important point. Incense, you lit it, and as it spread its fragrance, actually it's a symbol of selflessness. The fact that as it disappears, it gives to everybody. But also, it's of equality because uh, incense spread everywhere equally. And it doesn't say, oh, this one, I don't like them over there, I am not going to go there, oh, I prefer them, I'm going to go there. No, it's really spreading equally. And then the candle is a little the same thing that as it disappears, it gives light. So a symbol of selflessness, a symbol of, in a way, diminishing this kind of self-centeredness which can constrict us. But also what is interesting with the candle is that if you lit it, it is illuminating and illuminated. So illuminating means that it illuminates everybody for everybody outside. And illuminated is that you yourself becomes more clear and more bright. So this is just a quick explanation of why we offer this to the Buddha as a symbol, our own potential for awakening, but also as a symbol of the different aspect of what awakening means for us nowadays. 
Then I wanted to talk about meditation. So in a way, I wanted to look at what is it that we do when we meditate. So when we meditate, we actually, that whatever practice we do, so this is a song retreat, and you're going to find the same element in a way that you would find in the Vipassana tradition or any uh, Buddhist meditation practice. As the Buddha said in the early text, you need to have these two bases. The basis of focusing, concentration, grounding, calming, and the element of inquiry, questioning, looking deeply. So in a way, what we're going to try to do during this uh, retreat is really to continue to do that. Like that's what we've been doing up to this moment. And we'll try to kind of remember that, remind us of what we do. And so what we have to be a little careful is that often we kind of mix cultivation with effect of the cultivation. So the cultivation involves focusing, grounding, concentrating, and looking deeply, inquiring, questioning. And so that's a cultivation. And of course, there is an effect of the cultivation. And so in a way, we can focus, like we were, will suggest during this retreat, focus on the breath, focus on the question, what is this? Focus on sound that we hear around us. So that it be the breath, that it be the question, that it be sound, we have to see that the object in a way is not sacred. The, just, the breath is not better than the question, than the sound, or the question is not better than the breath of the sound. They're just in a way an object that we can with a friendly attention come back to. And so in a way we have to see why do we focus, why do we concentrate? Because I think the idea is actually again and again we come back to the question, we come back to the sound, we come back to the breath. And when we come back to the breath, the question of the sound, actually four things are going to happen. If we just take mental habits, as uh, Tony was mentioning during the meditation, that one of the first things we notice, and the reason we notice it is because that's the only thing left. When we sit, or I think it's very important in terms of the practice, of meditation that we can sit, stand, lie down, or walk. So whatever posture suits you. But let's take the example of sitting. If we sit in meditation, actually the first thing we notice is that generally they are thought. And they are thought because that's the only thing left to do. Uh, we cannot go and watch TV, we cannot go and listen to the radio, we cannot go and read a book, we cannot go and talk to a friend, we're actually just sitting there with ourselves. So in the fact that we're just sitting there with ourselves, then the last, the last thing we can do, the only thing we can do is think. And our brain, that's what it does. And we're very lucky that it does that. So we're not trying to stop the thought. 
But we have to see that the meditation, especially I would say the questioning, part of the questioning idea is to really dissolve the way we go on automatic. And so that's what you can notice when you meditate. I mean, are you going to have non-stops, original thoughts? Or actually, are you going to have thoughts you have had before? Whereas you will believe, like me, you will have ordinary, automatic, repeating thought, thought that you had before. And so in a way, what we try in the meditation is not to stop the thought, but actually through the focusing, we're trying to bring them back to their creative function. We know it's not that the thought takes us over or overwhelm us. But if we want to think, we think. If not, we don't. And so I would say the focusing does three things. Four things, three with habits, and then one general one. The first thing it does, like the focusing, is that in a way it's kind of the intention to come back. So we remember to come back. So back to the intention Tony was talking about. We have the, ten, the intention to be aware, to be awake. So we come back to the breath, to the question, to the sound. And then we don't feed the mental habits. We loosen its power. And thus we bring it back to its creative functioning. To me, that's a very important aspect of focusing. But another essential aspect is that when we come back to the breath, to the question, to the listening, we actually come back to the whole experience. Because notice, when you're sitting in meditation and you go somewhere else in a thought, then actually you're going into a small segment of your experience. I mean, you're sitting here in the present. I am sitting here right now with all of you. But when we're going to meditate together, and it'll be interesting how much are we going to be here sitting together and how much any one of us is going to be in the past, in the future, or just in one thing, in one area of our experience. So in a way, the beauty of the meditation, of the focus, is that it's going to bring us back to this whole experience. And within this whole experience, we can access all our creative potential. This is what is important about that. We don't come back so that we stare at the moment, but we come back in order we can be creatively engaged with all the different elements of what is going on right now. So that's what the focus is about. And the focus will help us to become more calm in terms that if we are more in creative functioning of thought, then there will be less agitation. And then our mind might be a little lighter. But the same with our emotional habit or our physical habit, it's the same. We'll go back to the creative functioning. So in a way, there will be less agitation. So often, we can experience more calm. <coughs> then the other element of the practice is inquiry, questioning. And so we're not just trying to calm the body and mind. 
but we also trying to develop brightness. And this is very important in terms of the sound practice. That in the sound practice, you're really not just trying to be calm. And that's why the, my teacher, Master Cousin, always talked about song, song, jok, jok. Bright, bright, quiet, quiet. So we want to be as calm as we want to be bright. And so this element of the practice, the inquiry, the questioning, the looking deeply, that can be done in many different ways. And so in terms of mindfulness, for example, mindfulness of the breath or mindfulness of the sound, we can be aware of change. We can be aware that the breath come in a little cooler, come out a little warmer. We can be aware that the sound arise and pass away. But also we can be aware that the sound, for example, within themselves also can change. But we'll talk more about this later. But also with uh, the inquiry, we also notice either the object changing or what surrounds the object changing. And that's what sounds can be so useful that we might be with the question, we might be with the breath, and suddenly we hear a sound. I mean, what is beautiful at Gaia House is that, you know, when we sit in the morning, especially, we have the rooks. We have lots, there are lots of certain type of crows in Southwest England, in Devon. So we sit in meditation in the morning, early morning, and we hear, and that keeps us kind of here instead of being somewhere else. So at that level, what change in the element, especially the sound, can be like a, a bell of focusing, a bell of attention, which bring us back. And so bring us back to really trying to be either aware of the change in the experience, or with the question, really bringing the questioning alive. So I'll talk more about the questioning tomorrow morning, but just to start with, that actually the practice uh, of Korean song is to use a koan. I'll talk more about this tomorrow, but the, the one question from a koan, from a story we will use is, what is this? Igoshi moshingo in Korea, imoko. What is it? And so when we ask the question, it's really, we're not repeating it like a mantra. We're not sitting there, what is it, what is this? This is not the point. But actually with the questioning, we're trying to develop a sensation of questioning. What is it? So actually we're trying to become a question mark. So the whole body and mind becoming a question mark. And then what is important is we're not asking as much as we can the question with the head. But we bring the question down into the belly and we try in a way to ask the question from there. What is it? So that in a way with the question, that's what we're doing. With the questioning inquiry element, if you do mindfulness of the breath or the sound, you're trying to go inside the sound or you're trying to go inside the breath to experience the fact that it comes and goes or that it changes within themselves. 
with the question, what you're trying to do is actually to the question be alive. So please ask it into your mother tongue, into your French, German, Spanish, Portuguese, uh, English, whatever, in a way, to really kind of uh, use it as a way to develop a sensation of questioning. What is it? So we have to see that this practice of questioning is not a practice of answering. We're really not looking for an answer to the question. And I'll talk more about this tomorrow, and that's why it's a little challenging. But generally, we ask a question, we want an answer. Here, we're really not looking for an answer. What we're trying to do is really develop a sensation of questioning. And why that? Because it will really help with the automatic reaction, because it will really help with the grasping. Instead of, in a way, this question, what is this, is to help us to, in a way, throw it into the moment. What is it? Without defining anything, without commenting anything, but really as a means to open to what is it? And I think, in a way, possibly this question, what is this, could be really useful in this uncertain time. Because in a way, we want answer. We want answer when are we going to come out, when is the coronavirus going to stop, when is this, when is that. And everybody's telling us lots of things, but actually, we don't know. And the questioning is really about we don't know. And how can we be stable and grounded with this I don't know? And so I would say that actually the questioning is really kind of like uh, very suitable for this uncertain time because it's helped us to be with uncertainty but with groundedness. Because this uncertainty is really embedded, as we said yesterday, in ethics, in wisdom, in compassion, in clarity. So really to see that the what is 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 really also something that's why it's so bodily. It's not kind of like some abstract uh, analysis, but it's actually what is it? I don't know. And can I be with that? I don't know. Because in that I don't know, actually our creative potential is more likely to emerge and to help us to be with this uncertain situation. Then I wanted also to talk, to finish with, about effortless effort. And Tony has already mentioned this term, but in the Son tradition, it's very important. So that in way, when we practice, we have just, I mean, the effort of the of holding the posture. And for me at the moment, it's very interesting because I have quite a lot of uh, back pain. I mean, I'm okay, but I have uh, back pain, which means that I can see it, but I cannot sit too long. So that's one of the advantage about being an online retreat is that I'm sitting with you in our little meditation room 
evening, morning, and I sit 25 minutes on my chair, and then I go and lie down on a pad I have made in our little meditation room. And what I found interesting is that when I sit, I have a tendency to bring tension to the meditation through the body. So I might kind of uh, tighten the jaw, I might tighten the mind or the shoulder, like kind of, if that is going to make my meditation better. It's interesting, we have this thing with efforting, that when we put in any effort, it's a bit like if we were going to kind of, you know, carry something very heavy, and then we kind of, ah, and so we kind of tighten the body, tighten the mind, I'm going to carry this. And then if we bring that to the meditation, this really is not helpful. So in a way, we try to bring in the posture some kind of, kind of like being upright, but being relaxed at the same time. And that's what I could see the difference, like when I was sitting in the chair, it was easier for me to tense up on the chair. And then being aware of the tension, relaxing the tension. When if I am lying down, I could see, I could not, it was interesting. The lying down posture, there was, there was not at all this kind of, I'm going to use a body to meditate better. So, you know, being careful with that. How do we use a body in terms of effort? Like, you know, as uh, Tony was saying, you can be too tight or you can be too loose. So if you're too loose, it's not very good for the body either. So it's kind of like we need a certain physical uprightness so that we actually also have a certain brightness of the mind. And at the same time, we have to be careful that with the mind, we're not judging ourselves all the time. I mean, that's why uh, Tony has mentioned it a few times. It's like, we're not, I should not have this soul, or I should not be preoccupied with that, or why, no, no. What happened, happened. If you have thought, emotion, feeling, sensation, sounds, it's all part of it. We're not excluding anything. But within that really wide open awareness, like, you know, being wide open like the ocean, we just have a little bit of uprightness. So in a way, it's kind of like finding that balance that we kind of really there, there is some attention, there is some focus. But within that focus, there is not, it should be this way. And so I should kind of, you know, contrive it. We really try not to bring contriving, forcing, because that leads to tension. So in a way, we want to kind of really, okay, I am trying to, pay attention to the breath, I'm trying to pay attention to the question, to bring it up or listen to the sound. But how can I do this in an open manner? So there is an effort, because there was no effort would be just kind of totally slouched and out of it. So we need a little effort, we need a little energy. And at the same time, we have to be careful with kind of the tension that comes with actually having an intention to do something. That is interesting. Can we have an intention to do something as a way to brighten us up and not as a mean I must accomplish this in this way? 
you could say it's a difference between aspiring, which is going to give us energy. I aspire to compassion, to wisdom, to awakening. And then that gives me energy to do something. And not expectation, which is it must be like this and why I'm not calm or why I'm sleepy or whatever it is. I mean, all of us will go through different states and we might be in different states too. Some might be sleepy, agitated, a little kind of like, you know, over-enthusiastic. I mean, there are many different things we can bring to the practice. So we can we, okay, I'm a little sleepy. Maybe I open the eyes. Maybe I kind of straighten the back. I'm a little agitated. Maybe I close the eyes. Maybe I try to really bring to my seat, to really my feet, to the whole body sitting here, kind of bringing the calming element. So really what we're trying to do when we practice, especially when we practice a questioning, we will try to have the balance between the calming, grounding element and the brightening, questioning element. So this is very important to see that we kind of, that's what we're trying to do. So sometimes if we're too calm, poof, then we're going to lose energy. Then up, we bring a little more questioning. And sometimes, I don't know if you use a questioning and it like kind of get a little agitated and up, we can also come back, for example, to the breath. I think we have to see that the three elements of breath, questioning, and listening are complementary. They're not exclusive. So you could start with the breath, go to the sound, and then focus on the question. You could just start with the question, and then at some point, if you're a little agitated, you could go back to the breath. If you feel a little tired, you could open to the sound. So in a way, each of these have a little different effect, you could say. The breath can be more calming for those it suits. The listening to the sound can be more opening for those it suits. And the question can be brightening for those, again, who it suits. So kind of... That's one thing we're going to do during this retreat is play with these two elements of calmness and brightness, but also kind of work with these three kind of uh, objects, these three focus, the breath, the questioning, and the sound, and to see that they are complementary. So also I am aware that some of you might already have their own practice. And if you're sitting there and trying to do, what is this, what is it? And then suddenly loving kindness come or just being with the breath come or counting the breath come or doing nothing comes, just do that. Don't worry about it. Just kind of also do what comes naturally because no matter what, you're going to cultivate focusing and you're going to cultivate inquiry. So this is what I wanted uh, to say today. So now we're going to have a 30 minute meditation. And then after that, we will open up in the chat for questions. So if we can all 
find a comfortable posture. So the back is straight. The shoulders are open. And I'm going to use, uh, I'm going to use not the nice bell, because uh, with uh, Tony, you have this nice ding, the bell. But uh, this is a uh, song style. So we're going to use what we call a jupi to start the meditation and to end the meditation. So comfortable post posture. We can be sitting, we can be lying down, we can be standing. For those who need, you can walk back and forth if that suits you. If we're sitting, we try to relax the shoulders, the back is upright, but not rigid. The hands are in the traditional posture one on top of the other, near the belly, or on our thighs, or between our thighs, whatever is suitable. If you are used to close your eyes, you can gently close them. If you're used to the sun style and you have them half open, you look a little bit down in front of you, gazing not fixing anything with the eyes half open. If we want, we can start to just by being aware of the breath. Air coming in cooler, coming out warm. can also look deeply into the breath and ask ourselves, what is this air that I breathe? And realize that we breathe the same air in all the lives that breathe. People, trees, animals. And we, each time we come back to the breath, we come back to a deep connection with the whole of life.
So we focus on the brand within a wide open awareness. So in the forefront, there is a breath. But in the background, there is a wide open awareness. And within that, the sound, the thought, the sensation, the feeling, arise and pass away. we could expand our attention to the sound. Just listening to the sound of the world, the music of life. There might be some internal sounds in the body, or external sounds, outside, in the streets. Can we listen to sound without grasping, without defining? Of course, we know what they are. Sound of the stomach hurting, sound of a bird, of a car, of someone in a room nearby. But we leave it there. Just noticing how the sound comes and goes. And if there is a sound which is more continuous, going inside the sound and experiencing how it changes within itself.
And if there are very few sounds, you can just listen to the silence. Now that we have grounded through the breath, open through listening to the sound. If it suited us, we could bring the question, what is it? Just like throwing a pebble into water, and then you have ripples. Just throwing, what is it, into this moment, into this experience, without defining, grasping, anything. Qu'est-ce que c'est? As is done. What is it? The consequence. Opening to the whole moment through asking this question time to time. Is it? 
if we get lost in soul, we can just see that. Oh, that's all. Oh, this one. Oh, that's all. Oh, that one. Okay. And gently coming back to the question. Sound also helping us to come back. Maybe the sound of a bird, of a car, of someone nearby. Each time, sing along, alive and happy. And grateful for that sound, we come back to the question. What is here?
effective. Cultivating developing a sensation of questioning in the whole body and mind. And to bring it down into the body. Grounding again in the posture. If you slouch a little, just becoming a little more upright. If you're a little tense, and just relaxing the shoulder. If you're a little agitated, bringing calm to focusing on the breath. If you feel a little tight, maybe opening with listening to sound. A little sleepy, maybe bringing more of the questioning. What is there?
So the meditation uh, has ended. And so what I would suggest just for a minute, again, if we can stand up and stretch a little, and then if you want to start to put in the chat any question or comments you have. So uh, the first question was a very good question, actually, which uh, that they have difficulty breathing. And so this sometimes brings up fear. So first thing is that why we suggest three different types of object, breath, questioning of sound, and sound, is because each will be suitable for different people. So. Some people, if they are, for example, asthmatic, I would not necessarily recommend to do the breath because if they are a little kind of uh, anxious about the breath, then to focus on the breath makes it a little more tense. And then I think to listen to sounds, to ask a question can be more helpful. So that's why personally we say, we suggest the breath because a lot of people do it, but it's not necessarily suitable for everybody. Same with the sound. Listening meditation can be a very good meditation, but if you have tinnitus ringing in the ears, then that meditation is not good in a silent room. And then it's better if you do it walking outside when you have noise, which can cover the tinnitus and you're not just listening to the tinnitus. The question, the same. If you're a little anxious, sometimes some people do the question and it makes them more anxious and then it better to do with the breath. So I think it's very important to see that each object, each focus might not be suitable for everybody all the time. So that's why we suggest that you kind of explore which one is more suitable for me. Because what is important is not the focus, is the fact that you are focusing on something, that you are experiencing the change of something. But I think it's to be very careful then. Exactly. So the second question, I found that having the question seemed to ignite thinking rather than experiencing. That's exactly. The thing with the question is that our brain is very used. If we ask a question, then we have to find an answer. So for some people, they do the question and it's their question that they can embed it in the body. But for others, and if Stephen was like, was the same when he started uh, doing the question when he came to Korea from a very intellectual uh, uh, analysis type meditation that he did with the Tibetan. He was always having so many questions. And then Master Kuzan always used to say, but do you know what it is? Go back, what is this? So some people, they do the question and then it ignites more thought. So then if it's the way it happened, then it's generally better not to do it too much. Use the breath and the sound more. And just within the 30 minutes, once or twice you do what is it. 
And you might find that it might come in more in daily life, kind of dropping in what is it. So to see that with the question, different people will uh, experience it differently. A question about effort and questioning. Recently, when I asked a question, I sort of end up with recognizing awareness, which takes almost zero effort. It almost feels like not meditation, but it seems to stick around all day in daily life. Can you comment on that with respect to the question technique? Okay, so one of the things with the question is that it can be very powerful in terms that if it suits you, doesn't have the same effect on everybody, is that it can be just like a thought that actually uh, it's kind of like so bright by itself and so calm by itself that actually any thought cannot even stop. It's kind of very interesting. It's kind of like, they say it's like a sword that is so sharp, you can have a, one hair falling on it and it would be cut. So at times we can be in what is a quiet and clear state. And it will happen by itself. And then generally that comes uh, a lot of the time if we have done lots of meditation before. And then you do the question and then it does this kind of it add brightness to the practice. So it's not that you are calm, but you're bright at the same time. And then you can have this bright awareness where actually you don't have to do much. But this is what happens when we meditate that sometimes we have to do something and we're really doing something and then actually it works. We seem to be a little more calm, a little more clear. Sometimes we try to do something and it doesn't work. So you try to focus, you try to acquire and you're kind of like agitated, confused and nothing seems to work. And then sometimes, poof, it just happened by itself. And it depends of our inner and outer condition. So at times, yes, there can be this kind of bright awareness, which just kind of seems to be there. And then you really don't have to do anything at all because it kind of it's just there by itself. And personally, I would say it's kind of like the fruit of the practice. After a while, yes, you don't have to do something. But at the beginning, when we practice, we think we have to do something. And then the more we practice, you know, the more we realize, we realize we, the less we have to do something. And then it can just happen by itself. Uh, for me, the question was difficult to keep asking as if I have an actual question. So two things here, that you're not supposed to ask a question all the time. So in a way, you could just, if you're not used to it, be with the breath and just time to time, Put it in. What is this? Or with the sound, what is it just time to time? And then, so you don't need to repeat it all the time. It's not like, what is this? What is this? What is it? That's not the idea. It's more like this throwing the pebbles. What is this? Being with the kind of sensation of questioning, being in that bright awareness space, and then when it goes, then you can bring the question again. Also, for some people, the word of the question are not really going to work. So then you could bring other words 
which make a question as long as it does not make you proliferate and analyze. But you want a question which you can really leave you more with opening than with kind of thinking about something. Otherwise, you could actually more kind of visualize yourself as a question mark. Sometimes that really works for some people. Dear Martin, can you explain a little more about asking the question without looking for an answer? That sounds difficult for me to process as my logic protests, of course. I mean, this is a challenge of this practice. Is actually, again, it's back to we have this automatic habit. We, I mean, that's what we've been trained to in school and everything. You ask a question, you find an answer, then another question and then another answer. So we really are very habituated to that, which is very useful in science and many other dif different places. But here, we in a way trying to dissolve the habits with the automatic reaction. And so here really the question is enough in itself. What is it? So in a way, what we really want to develop, that's what is very specific about Korean song. We're really trying to develop a sensation of questioning. It's a little bit like tasting something. It's a bit like snow. You know, you can kind of be in an island and somebody describes snow, it's cold, it's white, you know, maybe a piece of paper in the fridge. Is it like snow? Then you can come closer to the snow and you can sneeze, see the snow. Oh, yes, it's white. Yeah, a little cold. Hmm. A little like ice cream, vanilla ice cream. And then you get to the snow, you jump in it, you feel it, and then really you have the taste of the snow. And I think it's the same with the questioning is that at the beginning, it can easily be just kind of like at the level of thought. And actually we're trying to kind of eat being the whole body and mind being a question, but like a stable, grounded question. I had difficulty with the it in the question. Okay, that's a good question, actually. We say, what is this? Actually, we don't say, what is it? That's what is interesting with this question in Chinese. It's shema. Igo uh, Shimoshingo in Korean. And so it's not so much what is it as what is this. So it's kind of like pointing to something, bringing a little more brightness. But in terms of it, like if you were to ask what is it, why it? Because this is the most neutral you can get. Of course, some of you might be familiar with the question which you find in the Hindu tradition who am I? But I personally, I think this is very loaded with I. But here, it, very neutral. So in a way, that's also the challenge of that. Nothing specific, nothing specific. What is it? Actually, it's more like, what is this? Without any reference point. So it's kind of really challenging, I would say. Because generally, you know, we refer to the clock or we refer to this or that. Here is, what is this? You know what you're saying? What is this? What is this life? What is this whole moment? 
but not as a way to analyze it, as a way to experience it. So in a way, personally, this, this, is this, in a way, is kind of like referring to the whole experience. And I would say, I mean, right now, you could say it's really global. What is this? This. You could nearly say, what is this coronavirus? What is this? And you have no answer. You know, the earth, the corona, what is this? And just in a way, being in that experience of stable, grounded mystery. Could not formulate a question for this meditation. Why? Stay with that, stay with that. You know, I mean, if the question doesn't speak to you, don't worry about it. Do the breath, do the sound. You're not obliged to do the question. The question was useful as I sat with it for 25 minutes and then got irritated by it. However, the intimacy I developed with it altered my relationship to it somewhat. Was it just a habit to switch up? Yeah, I think, you know, generally we have a very quick, like we hear something, we see something, and we're not just in the seeing, we're not just in the hearing. We are generally immediately in the meaning of it, the commenting of it, the reaction to it. And in a way, when we try to meditate, we really try to be with what is going on right now. And with the what is this, even more so, try to just be with the sound as it arrives, the breath, the whole moment, and kind of slightly dissolving a little the tendency to quickly kind of uh, go into the meaning and the commenting. And then, of course, this change our relationship to it. sense of anxiety arose initially when turning to what is it. So this can happen, and then it's for you to see, is it kind of increasing the anxiety, or does the anxiety, as you said, change into a sense of excitement? Because often that's what happened with the what is this, kind of this sense of wonderment, this sense of mystery. So if the anxiety kind of turn into more anxiety, then you really need to stop the question back to the breath or sound, if it turned into a sense of mystery, of wonderment, then it's okay, because again, it's balanced, it's grounded. Okay, so somebody again appreciated the question. Then somebody who kind of, you know, as an international process, it can help us to wake up. How to find the right balance of effort when lying down during meditation. I think this is what I'm going to explore during this retreat. Uh, kind of like you're lying down, so in a way you cannot bring any effort to the body. That's very interesting. So actually, how can you bring the effortless efforts through the mind? And how can you think of doing more as resting? I think this is a really a challenge of meditation that we are researching the doing mode, that in a way we bring that very much to the sitting posture also. And so in the lying down, 
I think it forces us to be less in the doing mode, more in the being mode. So that, that I think the first thing could be, you know, is it better to open the eyes? Is it better to have my knee up? Is it, it, it's a little bit, how can you bring brightness so that you kind of, if there is not enough element you might fall asleep, of course, so how to bring some brightness, physically opening the eyes or bringing the question in a certain way. Is mind okay as an object? Of course, you can look at your thought, you can look at anything, of course. I mean, we're talking about what is this, listening, uh, breath, but yes, you could also do nothing meditation or just be aware of the mind meditation, be aware of thought meditation, you know, whatever suits you. Uh, a question regarding noting a thought. I try to look into the thought which helps it disappear. But should I note it with a short word? Personally, I am not so much into noting because that doesn't seem to be helpful for me. But just to see the thought, I find can be very useful because then you see what are your habitual thoughts in a different way. Instead of getting caught in it or instead of thinking, I must not think this, it's more, oh, oh, daydreaming, kind of fantasizing etc etc so i think it's interesting to look at what is it i'm thinking in general but personally noting not necessarily but if some people are used to do that and find it useful cool, of course when sitting some strong emotion come up sadness tears i drop into the question and there was a sense of suppressing emotion how do we work with a question while still allowing an experience to unfold? That is really kind of something to explore, I would say, when we meditate. So when we meditate, sometimes we experience an emotion and we can let it pass through us. Sometimes it's so strong, we cannot do anything about it. So anyway, it will be there. And sometimes, coming back to the question, coming back to the breath, might help us to create space around it. So it doesn't mean that we stop it, but it means that we're not overwhelmed by it. So I think this is something we kind of often find. Either we kind of are with it and we see passing it through it, otherwise it's so intense, it's just, and we cannot do much. But coming back for a second can really create some space. So I think, Personally, I would not necessarily say that coming back to the focus will suppress the emotion, but it could create some space around it. So I think, again, each of us has to see how it works. And I think, you know, let's see what happens. That's something I use a lot in my daily life as a means to open up instead of being a little kind of, you know, stuck sometimes. Sometimes with the questioning, I get something back which feel like a not quite intellectual answer, more like this, like that sensation that coming wave, and it sometimes causes involuntary motion. Any advice about that? Be careful. One thing we have to be careful with a question to really not do it too much with the body, because if we ask too much a question with the body, then actually it does cause involuntary motion sometimes. So being careful with that. And if 
when we meditate, we can have certain sensation. We can have sometimes some involuntary motion. And the thing to do is not to amplify that, but to really kind of, okay, I am feeling something. Can I just be with it? Can I just let it pass through me? So find some kind of some stable point. You refer to trying to be within the sound. Could you expand on what you mean by this? So often we hear a sound and we generally quickly go into the comment around it. Oh, a bird. Mm, I like it. A car. Mm, or whatever it might be. The phone ringing. Who left their phone on or whatever. And the idea is instead of going into the commenting, going if can we stay with the sound itself while it lasts? If the, sound, if the sound is brief, this is harder to do. And I would do this more, so here I would more notice, oh, it's gone, oh, it's gone. But with a sound which continues, you can go inside the sound. That can be interesting. You go, you kind of, the sound continue, you don't go into the commenting, naming of the sound, but more inside the sound for itself. And then you experience it very differently. Are sound meditation always guided? Not. Generally, sound meditation is not guided whatsoever. I mean, <laughs> if you came to the sound retreat, there is no guided meditation. And the reason we starting the retreat with a bit of guidance is because of the online format. We thought that uh, it's nice to sit together in silence, but to kind of feel I am still here and we still in it together. That's why there is a little more guidance. Normally, you would have no guidance. You just sit there uh, with no guidance at all. It's just because of the online medium. Question, what is this generate haha moment, a spontaneous insight? Is this a point? Definitely, that is a point, very much so. What they call sudden. Uh, sudden brightness, sudden insight, sudden clarity. Yeah, it's a little specificity here. Probably. Is it directed to the head, thought, perception? The meditation is being with the body. Actually, you can do the what is this in two very different ways. The Korean song way, which you just ask, what is this? No reference point. So it's kind of like if you say, throw it into the whole moment. What is this? No reference point. Totally open-ended. But if you really used to do mindfulness practice, then of course you can direct it to the breath, to the sound, to whatever. What is this? But it will be a little different. It's kind of like where you combine it with mindfulness. What is this sound? What is this sensation? And then it kind of often makes you have a different relationship with the object itself and not going into commenting. At some point, I will write it, uh, the Korean character and the Korean saying, because you can say it in two ways. Igoshi mo which is a whole phrase, or you can have a shortcut, imoko. And I will write this down and I will send it to mail. We'll put it on the special page where you can find the books and you can find lots of different information. But yeah, the writing you have is not... Uh, Mm, no, we don't choose that. 
Okay. Do you mean with sensation of questioning something like feeling tone? That's a good question. That's a really good technical question. So personally, I am, I don't know, some of you might be aware that uh, I am uh, very interested in terms of the mindfulness practice, what is called Vedana, feeling tone, tonality, of the experience upon contact, pleasant, unpleasant, natural. And the, the jury is still out. When we talk of the sensation of questioning, is it the same as tonality? I cannot say. But personally, I would say the questioning help us to go deeply into the experience, possibly in the same way that mindfulness of feeling tone help us to be more deeply into the experience and not into the commenting. But maybe we can look at that later on. Uh, appear to be going well, I get excited and thrilled and lose it again. I guess that means I should start without expectation. So this is something we all experience in meditation. We sit in meditation and of course, we just kind of cultivate, focusing, grounding, questioning. And then it's very hard not to have a little thing in the background. Is something going to happen? So we kind of often meditate hoping something special is going to happen. And then so we sit there and most of the time nothing special happens. And then something special happened and we're like, oh, that's it, that's it, the special has happened. And then it goes. So anyway, whatever happened in meditation, what is important is to really not do anything. Just be it. And I'd say it's a little like a mother with a child. You hold the child, if it's too tight, it cries, too loose, it falls. Same with a meditation state. Just be with it. And if you just with it, and that's actually a practice in itself, just be with whatever it is, quietness, clarity, whatever, just be with it. Don't do anything. And then it will last how long it lasts. So I would say, yeah, you do without expectation, but with some aspiration, as I mentioned previously. Uh, somebody was asking, should I say what is now or what is this? For you to explore. What is this? What is now for you really to explore? What works best for you? Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one. Uh, coming more from the Tibetan tradition, what is it like that? And then there is a little gentleness to that. What is it like that? Why not? Everybody, please explore. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.